something about, I think I was in, uh, I was in uh, Kings, Second Kings, two weeks ago, um, and having had um, a good time in that passage is about uh, them trying to arrest Elijah. Fire came down from heaven. So I was reading and looking at um, uh, more of Kings and more of Elijah's ministry. Uh, looking at parts of it I had not used to try to make a point. Of course, the thing with Elijah, Elijah is one of my favorite uh, guys in the Bible. He's like a gunslinger. He's like Jack Palance. You know, that was the guns hung low and uh, doing the Lord's work and doing it faithfully. You don't really feel, other than some, well, we'll get something this morning where there's a weakness in Elijah, but Elijah is Tim the magician. He's He's able to call fire down from heaven. And he had just done so going through chapter 17 of 1 Kings and chapter 18. Um, and, you know, the story where he and the priests of Baal are having a throwdown at Mount Carmel. And they can't do it. He teases them. They get really annoyed, cut themselves with knives, bleed everywhere. He then says, okay, I'll do it, makes it twice tre trebly hard, and calls fire down from heaven, and they go, oh my goodness, you must be right, and then he kills over 400 priests of Baal, probably personally, okay? So he's had a good week. Okay, now what I want you to think about in terms of good weeks are... Um, um, well, I want to, something I say at the top of your uh, notes there on the left-hand side. This is not a novel. Not that the Bible is not a novel, but the Bible is about life, and you're about life, and your life nor novel is uh, your life nor Bible is like a novel. What what are novels like? Well, now there's a narrative arc. There's a crisis. It builds. You have this, this climax to the story, and boom, there's a resolve, right? And if it's a romance, they live happily ever after. If it's an adventure thriller, the bad guy catches the bullet, you know, usually in the shoulder first, so he can feel it, and then in the head to make sure he's gone. But it ends everything. You go home, you sleep for two weeks. You live in a state of nirvana-like calm for the rest of your days. Well, that's what a novel suggests to you is that all of the thing of your life, all of the task of your life is uh, going to be caught up in this short claim. That's what people live toward in their retirement or whatever it is. They're thinking they've got this novel going. Um, if you've ever read Edison's The Worm Earlboros, um, if you're a kind of person, I'd recommend it. But the story goes on. It's, a, a, it's an adventure of Tolkien. He was a friend of C.S. Lewis's and 
Tolkien's and wrote, I think, his works before Tolkien wrote his. But the Worm Ouroboros is a story of some adventure against a bad guy, blah, 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 crisis, so forth. It comes to an end, and the heroes are all bored and disillusioned because the adventure is over. And then through a strange phenomena, the cyclic nature of history, it just starts all over again. And they're thrilled because they get to go kill the same bad guy again. Maybe a different way this time. But life is not like either of those. It's not like a novel, nor is it cyclic, where you just get to live through the same adventure, one time after another. The sun comes up. What's the line out of... Uh, is it Annie? Sun comes up. Uh, sun will come out tomorrow. You know what that's like, right? You thought everything was done. You thought everything was... Oh, I was on vacation, right? Eight days on the road, nice places, eating out, hanging out with the wife, reading, resting, driving back, beautiful fall landscape coming through Leavenworth and those areas, and just lovely. Get down into the flats, and just because, I don't know if you know what Othello's like, but it's not Leavenworth. Flat, dusty, a little too warm, even though it was fall. The phone rings, my phone. I hand it to Leslie, because in Washington you're not allowed to talk on a cell phone while you're driving. She answered it. The woman thought it was my mother, and that I was a 15-year-old kid behind the wheel, couldn't talk, but it was the dentist. Ben Bowen's office, confirming or encouraging me to take an early appointment the next day. Now, I don't know how you feel about dentists. I think there's a special ring in hell for dentists. And going to one is a completely unnecessary exercise where you pay them money and they hurt you. Now, I don't know how you feel about vacations, but that's not the thing I want to do the next day. I come home, go to bed, knowing now that I have a dental appointment the next morning. That's what life's like, right? The life does not say, and close, fade to black. I didn't have any time to shuffle around my house, satisfied with my rested state. Ahab, the king, has just had his 400 priests of Baal killed by the Tishbite, Jack Palance, played by Jack Palance. Ahab, verse 1 of chapter 19, told Jezebel all that Elijah has done and how he had slain all the prophets with the sword. Well, wouldn't it be nice if she was the kind of woman who would break down and cry? She didn't. As John Buchan once said of Von Einem, I think was her name, in Green Mantle, she was mad and bad, but mostly bad. This woman, Jezebel, 
sent a messenger to Elijah saying, verse 2, so may the gods do to me, and more also, if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. You've got 24 hours, buddy. I'm going to kill you. Ahab's, you know, one of those weak kings who gets moved by getting shoved back by a prophet of God and fire being called down from heaven and just when Elijah thinks that man, I'm, I'm winning this thing. You know, it's, it's a bad state. It's like America in, in 2018. And you're winning. You're probably feeling this in some, I don't know what your political persuasions are, but in some situations, whatever they may be, there are circumstances where you think you're winning. Whether you support Donald Trump or Brett Kavanaugh or what's her name, Ford, whatever your, wherever your notions are, you have feelings that you're winning, and then someone stands up and is not going to take your last little victory that seriously. Or they will take it seriously, they'll say, I'm going to hit twice as hard back at you. I'm going to kill everything you love. Suddenly you move from a state of euphoria, the bad guy's just still cooling off on the floor, you've, you've won. Your phone rings, and it's the bad guy's girlfriend. And she says, I am going to hunt you down. What is, what's that great thing, right? Uh, Liam Neeson in Taken. What's, I, don't, I don't have it memorized. Anybody have it memorized? You know, something, something, I will, I will hunt you down. I will find you and I will kill you. And all the women's hearts start to flutter. I want him to rescue me. But you're on the other end of that phone call, you know how it's supposed to feel. Jezebel has just made the phone call. And then he was afraid. Jack Palance, you're saying, I'm too young to know who Jack Palance is. Okay, Clint Eastwood's playing Elijah the prophet. That's who Jack Palance is, a little earlier. Lean-hipped, guns low squinty-eyed. Suddenly he's afraid. And he arose and went for his life. I don't know if that's where the phrase first came from, running for your life, but he ran for his life. Because that woman, that mad and bad, mostly bad woman, Jezebel, had made a phone call. He had just killed 400 of her prophets, her, of her priesthood. I don't think she cared for them personally. I don't think she's that kind of woman. Doesn't want to be insulted, though. Now, the reason I'm telling you this is because I don't want you to think that as you are looking to, that you, that you think incrementally in achievements, you have, to, you have to get to the place where you grow in Christ knowing that the, the temptation to sin is sure to come. The powers of wickedness are going to be arrayed against you somehow or another and just about being ready. Now, he came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, 
and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. Now, Beersheba, some of you might know Beersheba from World War I. I think some of the battles with the Turks and so forth occurred around Beersheba. I think that was the famous. Did you see the movie uh, The Light Horseman? That was the siege of Beersheba. Out in the, essentially, if you take Judah, I really wish I had one of those handheld, like laser projectors. I could just put a map of shines on the back wall, but I don't. Um, so imagine Palestine, imagine Jerusalem, go south, I don't know, 80 miles out into the desert, the Negev, and Beersheba's out there. So he goes to Beersheba, leaves his servant there. Then he heads a day's journey out into some wilderness. We don't know which direction. Hi there, B.A. Going back that way. That's called uh, being surreptitious. We didn't notice. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree and he asked that he might die, saying, It is enough now, O Lord, take away my life, for I am no better than my father's. He just got the spine yanked out of him. Again, this is Clint, the Tishbite. The phrase, the Tishbite, is... One bad ombre. He read The Grove of Astaroth by John Buchan. He calls the Scotsman, who has all the will in the book, his Tishbite. Because he had all the will in the world. And now he's saying, kill me. I'm no better than anybody else. And he lay down and slept under a broom tree. And behold, an angel touched him and said to him, arise and eat. And he looked, and behold, there was at his head a cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. And he ate and drank and lay down again. And the angel of the Lord came again the second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, else the journey will be too great for you. And he arose and ate and drank and went in the strength of that food forty days and forty nights to Horeb the Mount of God. I don't know if the angel, you know how your wife wakes you up, you have to get up for something? Alarm goes, she shakes you. And you kind of don't pay attention to it. It's like, the, I got the feeling the angel is saying, hey, wake up, wake up. Eat more. You're going to need this. In some ways, you might have seen it as, well, he ate, went to sleep another 24 hours, woke up again, there was more food, he had to eat that. I, I, I don't know, it seemed like the angel was there going, why aren't you getting up and getting underway? Could be either one. I don't know why the sleep, there's a kind of tiredness, if you've ever been depressed by circumstances, and sometimes when everything that you did right comes back at you as a greater temptation and no one likes you and your name is mud a a, a tiredness a lot of I'm not a depressive person but I've heard that people who struggle with depression get asleep a lot they try to deal with it it just takes the wind out of their sails 
He's going off to Horeb, the Mount of God. That's Mount Sinai. Now there's some debate as to where Sinai is. It's just a tradition that it's down at the tip of the Sinai Peninsula. That's a valid choice, but it doesn't fit all the data. Some think it's in Arabia. Some think it's up north in Sinai or Negev. But it's 40 days and 40 nights of journeying to get to it. It's quite a ways. And there, this is on Horeb, he came to a cave and lodged there. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. And he said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? That's just one of the... There seems to be something in that 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 isn't picking up. Like God is not picking up on Elijah's problem. Like what are, you, what, are you do, what are you doing at the Mount of God, Elijah? I know it's natural for someone to run to the Mount of God. He gets there, the, the Lord says, the word of the Lord comes to him, what are, you, what are you doing here? And then Elijah, in red, says, I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken thy covenant, thrown down thy altars, and slain thy prophets with the sword. And I, even I only, am left, and they seek my life to take it away. That's a, that's a well-practiced complaint. And not only is it a well-practiced complaint, it covers all the bases. It's largely true. It's believed to be true by Elijah. And it's spiritual. Oh, you got to like that. It's not like, I didn't have any, enough Twinkies and I'm a little annoyed. Well, you can have more Twinkies. But boy, you can, you can wrap your complaint. Have you ever counseled somebody who came to talk to you about, say, a relationship problem? And really you suspect it's really kind of not just sin, but it's relationship sin, but they want to make it into a spiritual problem, and generally a spiritual problem for the other person. Well, I really, I really think that he, she, they are this way, and it's really a trial. We've got to use the word trial. It's, not, it's really an annoyance. No, it's really a trial. It's a spiritual language here. Complaining spiritually, but you're complaining. And it sounds to us reading through the situation, and why are you getting down on Elijah? I can understand this completely. That's Jezebel back there. Excuse me, you just killed 400 prophets. You just defeated the king, her husband. You showed them which end was up, right? Bring the rain back. Remember in James it says, Elijah was a man of like passions unto ourselves, and he prayed and the rain stopped, and he prayed and the rain began. This is the guy, this is the moment. He can stop the cosmos from doing things. He can call fire down from heaven. He can kill the bad guys. He can convince the people and this one woman can turn him on his head and now he's got this complaint after running 40 days. 
because he was afraid of her. That's what it says. He was afraid. He arose and went for his life. It's such a, a remarkable thing. Right at the end, if you go back and read chapter 18, right at the end, when he's, remember that scene you saw, and I don't know if you saw it in Veggie Tales and, or in a Bible story book or whatever, because they always pull these stories out. You're never quite sure what the context is. After he's killed all these prophets, blood still crusting on his hands, he's got his servant looking over the sea to see if there's any clouds. There's been no rain for three years. Finally, there's a cloud the size of a man's fist. And Elijah says, we better run for it. And so he gets the king in his chariot. He says, you better head for Samaria. The rain's going to catch you. And it does. But it says, Elijah girded up his loins and ran before the chariot all the way to Samaria from Carmel on the coast. We're talking marathon distances. Having, you know, just worn himself out killing 400. I want you to, I don't, wouldn't want you to read chapter 19 as this tender moment of, of you know, someone who's really labored hard for the Lord um, naturally having a complaint. He's been victorious, steely eyed. Do you hope for that? And he said, God saying, go forth and stand on the mount before the Lord. So he's, he's gotten the word from the Lord. I want you to hear this. He's gotten the word from the Lord. I don't know how that comes to a prophet like Elijah, whether it's just a, a resonant inside his head thing that's obviously a different voice than his own. But that word from the Lord asks him first, what are you doing here? And he's got this complaint. What? Things are bad, Lord. He was going, hold it. Things are actually pretty good and you're only dealing with a woman. But you don't understand, Lord. I'm the only one. It sounds a little like he's starting to exaggerate. Then he says, go forth and stand upon the mount before the Lord. Now, I grow up with this passage because it wanted to turn God from Harry Thunderer into People Whisperer. You know what a horse whisperer does, or a, I don't know what other kind of dog whisperers or whatever they have. What is that? You know, this kind of person who's really in touch, really in touch with the animal. Okay? And you kind of want. Because it's the story of the still small voice, right? Picture Elijah in a cave. He's scared to death. It's been a month and a half since that woman said some things and hurt his feelings, and he ran. And he's got this juiced up complaint to put before the Lord. And the Lord's going, what are you doing here? Why don't you go out and listen to me? Now, at that point, the Lord passed by. And a great and strong wind rent the mountains and broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, 
a still small voice. Now what the Bible storybooks then do is make God the people whisperer. That's how he, that's how God touches base with you. Whatever the case, you can take what you want out of that. Elijah then leaves the cave. Remember, he was told to go out and stand before the Lord. You came here to the Mount of God for a reason. What are you doing here? He says, I got, things are gone sideways, Lord. He said, you better stand before the Lord. And then, in the still small voice, the same question. When Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And behold, there came a voice to him, not the word of the Lord. Whatever that is, this is distinct. A voice came to him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? (laughs) Maybe you didn't hear my complaint the first time, so let me repeat it verbatim. That's why they're both in red. So you can be sure that when you voice your complaints about your life, you can make sure that it always sounds like tidy, neat, and and spiritual. And how you're the only one, oddly enough. I know what this feels like. I have a, I don't know, good view of myself. It's, you know, it's warm. But of course, no one, have you ever noticed that no one really holds your views the way you hold your views? And everyone should hold my views, right? Everyone should hold my, you you wanna write that down? I'll give you a moment. I should hold Evan's views. And I should probably hold Evan's views in the exact same way that Evan holds them. Wouldn't that be just, that'd be great. I'd feel so much better. <laughs> and you would be right. That'd be great. You'd, say, You'd be right. I'd feel better. Most of us have that notion about our views, about ourselves. And then we find out, because life is not a novel, and there's some Jezebel out there, and she's a woman, who uh, throws a spanner into the works and scares the living daylights out of you. And you don't know which way to run. And you think it's all a spiritual crisis and a problem. What are you, what are you doing here? Insert your name. What are you doing? I have been very jealous of the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken thy covenant, thrown down thy altars, and slain thy prophets with the sword. And I, even I only, am left, and they seek my life to take it away. You can cut and paste. Right now, have you been in some conversations recently about current political foment? I bet you have. And how much hand-wringing has gone on in your little commentary about what's going down politically, sociologically, and how easy it would be to describe that this this handbasket is mighty large that is carrying this nation to Hades. It has got so many obvious things. Everyone hates the law of God, hates God, hates Christ, hates this, and, and people are just going to and I, no one seems to be, look at the church today. And you could, you could veer off into any kind of complaint. And because it's spiritual about people's sin, 
usually somebody else's. Um, and the state of the church, I don't have a good view of the church. Do we really want Do we really want it to just be in this state of fright? It doesn't sound that Elijah is in a good place. He is frightened of Jezebel. You don't think, if you go back and read it, maybe he shouldn't have been. Oh, she may have killed him, but he shouldn't have been. And the Lord's wondering what he's doing down here a couple times. Oh, so you haven't heard my complaint. He complains a little bit more. What the Lord then does... He doesn't say to Elijah, oh, you're complaining too much. He just tells him what's going to happen. The Lord said to him, go, return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus, and when you arrive, you shall anoint Hazael to be king over Syria. And Jehu, the son of Nimshi, you shall anoint to be king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of Shaphat, of Abel-Maloha, you shall anoint to be prophet in your place. And him who escapes from the sword of Hazael shall Jehu slay. And him who escapes from the sword of Jehu shall Elisha slay. Yet I will leave 7,000 in Israel, all the knees that have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. The Lord moves on in his victory. The question that should be crossing our mind to Elijah is, Elijah, what are, you, what are you doing there? You just got sent back to the fight with tasks to do that you could have done without this intervening fear. Taking the wind out of your sails because some evil woman threatened your life. And what happened when your world of satisfaction didn't pan out? You exaggerated to make your complaint stick. No one, no one serves you. Everybody's... Uh, and the Lord at the end of this says, I've got, what, how many thousand? Seven thousand, which in an ancient society was a good number. Seven thousand who had not bowed the knee to Baal or kissed him. So, Elijah, let's amend your thought. Your God is victorious. The battle has to go on. You don't get to finish and call it quits. And you have to be aware that the enemy is going to keep trying to undo you. I think it's very gracious of God to speak to Elijah this way, to respond to him. I think if you go into that kind of fear and complaint, be ready to hear the correction, the voice that says, why don't you go back to work and quit your false exaggeration about the state of your ministry, which is, no one does this but me. Some of us for the saints in a town like this who are trying to minister the gospel 
sure, my, no one does it like you. Someone, no one has the right views like you. Not, certainly not like me. But we're not the only ones who serve the Lord. There's 7,000 out there for Elijah. I don't know how many there are in Moscow. People who love the gospel of Christ and represent it. And when somebody is causing you to be upended emotionally to where you're picking up all the bad things and piling them into your commentary and into your prayers, you think you're doing good because you are praying about it, you think you're doing good because it's spiritual topics, and the Lord's going, why are you here? Don't, you know, what do I believe about my God? My God is victorious. He rules heaven and earth. He was victorious on the cross 2,000 years ago. Any spiritual power raised against the, oh yeah, they could kill you. But after that, what can they do? I'm supposed to fear my God. If we take on a sad face about what it is we're facing, it's kind of a conceit about who you are. Now, one thing I noticed is that if you don't look at things, what did the Lord just tell them? You're going to go back? You're going to anoint Hazael? Ben-Hadad was king of Syria at this time and had been causing trouble. And he was to anoint Hazael over Ben-Hadad. That's a weird story. Anoint Jehu over Israel. And Jehu, I always liked. Not a real good man, but a violent one. And anoint Elisha. What does he do? So he departed from there and found Elisha, the son of Shaphat, who was plowing with twelve yoke of oxen before him, and he was with the twelfth. Elijah passed by him and cast his mantle upon him. Oh, yay! There's Elisha. And Elisha's pretty hot, too. You gotta like Elisha. I mean, Elijah gets caught up into heaven, but Elisha's still pretty hot. And then nothing happens. Hazael doesn't get anointed, and Jehu doesn't get anointed. Till long after Elijah's dead. With Jehu, it's 12 years after Ahab has died. It's a long time before the rest of the instructions. It sounds to me, it says, return your way to the wilderness of Damascus, and when you arrive, you shall anoint. Elijah doesn't. If you're reading through your Bibles, you might pick up on things. What's happening when it's happening? God has a plan for victory. We sometimes still, because of our weaknesses, and it seems that he seeks out the Elisha task and does it right away. You've got my replacement. And it's Elisha who anoints Hazael and who anoints Jehu. There are still some ways to the victory. God is not going to lose this thing. God is victorious. God is more powerful than anyone else. We sometimes try to th or think that our own assessment of the state of things is just true. Uh, I have a very jaded view of the church. 
not many, as many Christians as people think there are. Is there probably more than I think. Okay? We have emotions that guide our complaining. And this, this was a moment of complaint, spiritual complaint, that was inaccurate, needed to be sent back into the fight, running away from the wicked of one of the greatest men who ever lived. Okay? Elijah was one of two that we know of that didn't die. Caught up to heaven in a whirlwind. We know that he was prophesied to come again and that Elijah was possibly somehow tied to John the Baptist. Whatever you want to think of it. But still, Elijah was remarkable. It was prophesied that he'd return before the great and terrible day of the Lord. Man, he's somebody. Still, his knees got cut out from under him. We don't like our fears being pulled at, especially when we might come out of a victory strong and looking strong, and suddenly someone knows how to how to hurt um, how to hurt the situation, how to hurt you. Christ felt it. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So you have the Son of God Himself. You you have Elijah. So you're going to feel at some points that you have a legitimate complaint. But think of your faith, what it's claiming about what our Lord is up to. This is a matter of the story of the history of the world. Your life is not the plot of the history of the world. Your life is a small vignette where your service to God and the God you believe is not just going to be say, yes, he's all powerful, except when it comes to things in my life where I don't feel very secure. No, he's got things for us to do. Go anoint the people you were told to anoint. It's going to carry on after you. He said, go anoint the prophet that's going to take your place. That's a great thing. You have to realize, hold it, you know, there are people... Um, a small learning thing. Whenever you go away and someone preaches for you, like Davis did this last this last week, you realize, you know, I'm I'm going to be dead at some point, and you know, somehow Christianity has just going to manage to go on. Somehow, somehow. Our God is in in pursuit of His enemies. Do you get, notice how he says that anybody Hazael fails to slay Jehu will slay anyone Jehu fails to get Elisha will kill this is uh, the, God is thinking of his time of pursuit of the wicked everyone is running across the face of the earth trying to get away from judgment trying to get away from God God is pursuing them and when Jezebel turns around and tries to pursue Elijah, and he starts to believe that pursuit, that the world is a threat to him. It's kind of a, uh, the name they had for it in the Navy was malingering. And you were not allowed to malinger. Um, And you say, well, uh, I don't hear that used often. That's the person who makes too much of their sick leave. Oh, <coughs> I have the black lung. 
yeah, well, you don't have the black lung. Someone who exaggerates, oh yeah, I hurt my ankle, and they're limping badly, but then they forget which foot it was, because it doesn't actually hurt, so they start limping on the other. When somebody wants to get out of a bad situation, don't like how it's going, don't ha like how they feel, they start to exaggerate the complaint. Your God does nev never ceases to be victorious. That's who he is. It's the all-powerful. That's why we say almighty. Trust him. He has things for us to do. Victories for us to participate in. Pursuit of the enemies of God. Yes, you may be killed in the pursuit, but don't fear him who can kill the body. You fear God. Let's thank him. Dear Lord, we're grateful for all the good you give us. In your son's name, amen. Would the uh, persons who are, did you have somebody to do the handing out? See, this is where I need a dictatorial apology to help. Okay, uh, Tristan will help. Are you going away? Or are you going to help? Yeah. He's going to do it. You want to? So the two of you can do it. Okay. On the back of your sermon notes, this is what we go through. It's the passage out of Corinthians 11 on the Lord's Supper. <clears throat>